0: Good afternoon, I'd like to welcome everyone here as well and thank you for joining us and um, thank you for all of you who may have prayed for me this week leading up to this message, I really do appreciate it. If you uh, can turn your, with, your, with me in your Bibles to Philippians chapter 1 please. Philippians chapter 1, we'll be continuing where I left off the last time I preached, which is a while ago, but we'll be looking at, um, I guess, the last part of verse 18 and continuing on through verse 26. And as I was preparing for this message, I just realized again that uh, the life of Paul, there's so much to learn from Paul and his love and his devotion to Christ, and uh, This is just another one of those passages that really opened that up to me and and showed me um, his deep confidence. And there was absolutely nothing that could sway Paul from the love of Christ. And um, I trust uh, through this message that you will get that same thing by the end. So Paul had confidence. It It was a deep confidence, and there was just nothing that could shake him from that. And as an example of not the kind of confidence Paul had, I read a a short story about a couple guys who were hunting ducks one day, and after spending the better part of the day hunting ducks and after waiting for a long time, finally one duck comes in. And the one guy gets up, and as the duck comes in, he starts shooting. He was just a very confident hunter and, and shooter. And he empties his clip on this duck, and as he watches that duck fly away after his gun was empty, he, s- he said to this other guy, you just witnessed a miracle. There flies one dead duck. That was confidence. He was confident, but that's not the kind of confidence that Paul had. That's not, that's not, um, that's not the confidence in Christ. That's not confidence that's true confidence. It's not confidence that cannot disappoint. Paul's confidence is a confidence that cannot disappoint. You cannot sway. And uh, so it will not disappoint. It's not a false confidence that is built in his own mind. It's not a self willed kind of confidence, but it is confidence that is built on the Word of God and his promises. And so as we read this passage, let's look for this um, confidence in, in Paul. And I'll just start at verse 18. <clears throat> what then only that in every way whether in pretense or in truth christ is proclaimed and in that i rejoice yes i will rejoice for i know that through your prayers and the help of the spirit of jesus christ there this will turn out for my deliverance as is my eager expectation and hope that i will not be at all ashamed but that with full courage now as always christ will be honored in my body whether by life or by death so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. And so, just as a reminder, Paul has just finished telling the church uh, about the gospel advancing throughout Rome. If you remember from last time, the whole imperial guard was being evangelized, and the gospel was heading was going out, um, and it was going out against all odds, against all circumstances. It was... Um, advancing as an army advancing in a battlefield it was going against what would be expected and yet it's going forth and this really adds to paul's understanding of god's will being done he was he understood that god's will would be done without the circumstances dictating where it would go and it was just adding to paul's confidence in christ Um, paul was in prison others were trying to inflict him they were trying to preach the gospel out of selfish ambitions, in spite of what Paul was doing, and saying, um, in chapter and in verse 18, he says, "Because of that, because the gospel is going forward, I rejoice." He says, "I will. In that, I rejoice." And so <clears throat> we see this incredible amount of confidence in Christ that he can have, and he does have, and he remains joyful in spite. Of his circumstances we see how his joy is fixed in christ and it's not at all fixed in himself and his only ambition in life is to make christ known and if that means being in prison and in, and that in some way helps to advance the gospel then paul says i will rejoice <clears throat> then in the very next sentence he says something that displays even more confidence even greater confidence in christ as he says in the future tense and yes, I will rejoice. And so this is what we want to look at here today. We want, what is Paul, um, what is it that Paul will be rejoicing in? What gives him so much confidence? So in verse 19, he says, for I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance. So this word deliverance literally means salvation. And in fact, Paul's, in paul 's epistle is the same word that he uses for the word deliverance there is used seventeen times in the Greek text, and yet this is the only time it is used as deliverance so every other time that this Paul is used in in paul 's letters, it is tram- translated simply to the word salvation, so it means salvation. The word means deliverance or salvation and so here are two things that Paul could be saying. In this text. So he could be saying that he believes he will be delivered from his current situation, and he believes he will be set free after the trial is finally over. Or he could be referring to his final deliverance, his, his deliverance into eternity with Christ forever. And yet Paul does say later on in this letter that, or just a few verses later, he says it makes no difference whether he lives or dies. Either way, he believes he will be delivered. And so there is some debate over this as to what he would be referring to, but from what he says in verse 25, it seems that he will be convinced, that he is convinced that he will, for the sake of the church, be released, and he will stay longer. Therefore, it makes sense that Paul believes he will be set free at some point from prison, that he will be delivered from his prison cell in the present state. And this would make sense why the writer would translate the word deliverance and not salvation in this instance. Deliverance seems to be referring to this present situation. But for Paul to have confidence in being delivered from prison, he must have confidence beyond um, in a future state as well, or future salvation. If if the eternal salvation or deliverance is not a reality for Paul, then there is no hope in the present. Um, Maybe you have heard of the three tenses of the gospel. We were saved from eternity past. We are being saved, and we will be saved in the future. So in order to have the confidence in any of them, I believe we must have confidence in all of them, as did Paul. And I want to just briefly show us this. Um, Turn with me to Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 10, it's a very familiar passage to, to all of us, I'm sure, for we are his workmanship. We are created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. And Paul believed his steps were prepared for him beforehand in eternity past. God had planned Paul's life. And so if Paul believed the gospel in the past tense, then we can see how it would have given him power pa- Uh, confidence in the present tense as well. In his present trial, he can have confidence because he believes in God's plan for him in all of eternity, past. And then in the present tense, um, one passage is 1 Corinthians 1.18. We'll just have a quick look at that. 1 Corinthians 1.18 says, For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. So he says, for those of us who are being saved, it is not a contradiction to what he said in Ephesians. He's talking about the sanctification process, the ongoing work of Christ by the Holy Spirit to conform us to Christ. And then in the future tense, Paul writes another very familiar passage to most of us, I'm sure, in Romans chapter 8, verses 28 to 30. He says, um, We know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he justified. And whom he justified, he also glorified. The amazing thought of being with Christ and standing there fully justified. If you can allow yourself to go there, it is an incredible thought. And Paul trusted in these words to stand before Christ justified and glorified. He trusted that he was saved in the past. He trusted that he was being saved and he trusted that he was saved for all of eternity, and he trusted in God for his salvation. He trusted in God for his deliverance. And there are so many more examples of this, and I'm sure Pastor Mike could preach a message on just that verse alone. Uh, You know, he could probably do a series, but that's where I'm going to leave that for now so we can continue. Um, There are so many examples, though, in Scripture of this, and I hope that we can see why Paul would have had confidence from that, and for his deliverance. I hope we can understand that we would have little confidence in the the present if we had no confidence in the past. And we can have no confidence in the present if we have no confidence in the future. And we could have no confidence in the future if we don't have confidence in the past or in the present. We need confidence in Christ in all three, and I I hope that makes sense to you guys, as it does to me. And I believe Paul had confidence in all of those, and that's why he could was so confidently say, "No matter what, whether I live or die, it was good for him. He was going to be delivered." And this confidence comes through God's promises. It comes through um, the promises of God as they're manifested to Paul through the prayers of the saints and the work of the Spirit as of Christ for Paul, as he reads, uh, as he writes in verse nineteen. For I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance. He knows. To know something is to have knowledge of it. Paul knows that through the prayers of the saints and the Holy Spirit that he will be delivered. So first, through the prayers of the saints to Timothy, Paul wrote. And, first, and I will be doing quite a few scripture references here um, <clears throat> To Timothy, Paul wrote in 1 Timothy 1, 1.5 that there is one God, there is one mediator between God and man, and that mediator is Jesus Christ. And then Jesus himself says in John chapter 14, verse 6, the only way to the Father is through him. Paul knew the saints were praying, and they were praying to the one true God through his son, Jesus Christ. And he knew that their prayers were being heard and answered. Paul encourages his readers, in every letter that he writes, he encourages them to pray. In 2 Corinthians one eleven, he asks them to join in helping them through prayers. To the Ephesians, he wrote, With all prayer and petition, pray at all times in the Spirit. And with this in view, be on the alert with all perseverance and petition for all the saints. Ephesians 6.18. Even in the letter of Philippians, later in chapter 4, verse 6, he says, um, be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be known to God. In Romans fifteen thirty, he wrote, "I appeal to you, brothers, by our Lord Jesus Christ, and by the love of the Spirit, to strive together with me in your prayers to God on my behalf." So Paul longed for the prayers of the saints, and he, and he, gained confidence from the prayers of the saints. He understood the importance of them. Um, he would have brought, It would have brought great encouragement to him to hear of their prayers for him. And so Paul had confidence in these prayers on his behalf. And not only in the prayers, but also in the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ. God's promise to send the Holy Spirit and, and help when needed was something he believed and held to as a source of confidence as well. Promises like like from uh, the Gospel of Matthew in chapter 10, verse 19, when it says, When they deliver you, do not be anxious how you are to speak or what you are to say, for what you are to say will be given to you in that hour. For it is not you who speak, but it is the Spirit of your Father speaking through you. Promises like Ephesians 3.20, where Paul himself says it is a very... now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think according to the power that is within us paul believed and he believed with all his heart that there was there was no doubting for him his confidence was in the lord's promise to him and the persecution the hardships for him nothing would keep him from rejoicing in the lord Yes, I will rejoice. He could say this with all confidence. And just as, as an, a slight example I, of what Paul, how he would gain confidence, this week when Pastor Mike sent out a text saying that I'm preaching this week and I could use your prayers. He was right, I could use your prayers. And I know that some of you, many of you have been praying. And, and just the fact that you know people are praying for you, it gives you confidence because they're praying to Christ. They're praying to um, that the Holy Spirit that God has promised to us will work through us, and that gives confidence. I gain confidence from that, as we all do from each other, and we need to pray for one another that way. Knowing that Christians who have the Holy Spirit are petitioning to the Lord on your behalf is an incredible comfort, and it brings confidence that the Holy Spirit will work through you. So then back to our text, Paul goes on to say, in regards to his deliverance... um, through the help of the Holy Spirit and the prayers of the saints that it is his eager expectation and hope that he will not at all be ashamed, but that with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in his body, whether by life or by death. And so the ESV says eager expectation. The the New King James says earnest expectation. It means to watch with an outstretched head Maybe maybe you can picture yourself as a child waiting at a windowsill for your best friend or maybe your grandparents or or some loved one to pull up who you haven't seen for a long time, but you know they're coming and you know they're going to be there any minute, and you're just eagerly waiting for them to come You're str- you're outstretched out your head to to peer out the window to see them It is an anticip an anticipation that can hardly be contained it's just it's so real. And it's trustworthy because it has been promised. You know it's coming. You know it's coming now. And I don't know if that's a good illustration, but I hope we get the picture of Paul here. Um, what he's saying is he has an eager expectation. He's he's eagerly expecting this to happen because he knows it will happen, because he believes. And that is what um, an earnest expectation And it's not just an expectation, but also a hope, he says, that he will not be ashamed. And so, like the child at the window who got word from his mother that they will pull up any time, they are so sure that there's nothing that will keep them from stretching out their head to try and see the very second they pull onto the driveway. A hope so sure, so certain for Paul, that that he says he will not at all be ashamed. Not at all. Not even a little bit, not in anything. No matter how this will turn out for him, he is sure of this thing that he will not be put to shame. And this can only turn out one way for him, and this is for his good and for the glory of God. For the good of Paul and for the glory of God, and he's convinced of that. Whether he lives or dies, he goes on to explain, Paul is ahead no matter what happens. But we must not miss the point that Paul is not worried about... Own good as much as he is concerned that Christ will be honored and glorified. And actually, I think this is the only thing that Paul has put his hope into that Christ will be honored. He is so confident that God is in control and that he is exactly where God wants him to be. And that is why, no matter the outcome, Paul can say he will not be ashamed. He is his hope is sure. His hope is real and it's alive. It's not, it's not a, a false hope. It's, whole, it's solely based on the Lord's promises. It's not a wishful thinking on Paul's part. His hope is in the promise of Jesus Christ to never leave him or forsake him. Paul understood the promises of Jesus as written in John chapter 10 where Jesus says, My sheep hear my voice. I know them. They follow me. I give them eternal life. They will never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. I and the Father are one. Think about that promise for a second. Just let that sink in. Jesus says they will never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. This one promise alone should and could, would and should be enough to give every single believer the confidence that Paul is showing in his statements to the Philippians. But there's more. There's so much more. And Paul's confidence was based on all of this. To the Romans, he wrote in chapter 5, verse 1, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance. Endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts, through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. We have peace with God. We rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Hope does not put us to shame, and God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit. The Apostle Peter calls this hope a living hope. Listen to this promise from God's Word as I read this very familiar passage, starting in 1 Peter 1.3, and feel free to turn there. Blessed be the God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope, through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for salvation, ready to be ve- revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary I believe this would have been written roughly at the same time as Paul's letter to the Philippians. And so this letter might not have been known to Paul as Peter wrote it. But Paul knew these promises. He believed these promises as Peter did. Paul believed without a doubt. There was no doubting or worrying about what was going to happen. He can and he does say with all confidence that whether he lives or dies, Christ is honored. He was fixed on Christ. And he understood that he would be delivered. He rejoiced in these promises. And they were his source of hope and confidence. His confidence was in the promise of Christ. And then in the next verse, 21, he he simply says it like that. For me, to live is Christ, to die is gain. Paul was so Christ-centered, so focused on Christ, that if he was to go on living in this world, it would simply, it simply meant for him Christ. It's been interesting to see how many places I have found this passage being preached on in the last few weeks. Joel Beakey preached this two weeks, two Sundays ago today at Grace Community Church. And he he mentioned in his letter that the word is, in the English translation, is just in there as a filler word because it makes more sense, or the grammar is correct in English language. But he said in the Greek text, it simply says, for me to live, Christ. There is no is, it's just Christ. For Paul to live is Christ. He was so focused that if he were to live, well, that meant simply Christ for him. Every part of his life would continue to point to Christ. More growing in the likeness of Christ. Continued sanctification. Paul was crucified with Christ, and he said to the Galatians, In Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. So if Paul goes on living, it simply means Christ. But if he should die, gain. What can be better than Christ? But to be with Christ for all of eternity. But to have Christ even here is a life full for Paul. It is everything he needs. And to die would just simply be gain. If I live, that means that every part of his life will be devoted to Christ. It is a fellowship with Christ on earth that is so real that no matter the trial he faces, he doesn't, it doesn't matter because he has Christ. And to the Romans he said in 14 verse 7, For none of us lives to himself, none of us dies to himself. For if we live, we live to the Lord. And if we die, we die to the Lord. So then whether we live or whether we die, we are the Lord's. To live as Christ, but to die is gain. Knowing his salvation would be even more fully realized than it, and so it would be gain. Paul welcomed death. In fact, in verse 23, he says he's hard pressed between the two possible outcomes of his pending trial. He desires to be with the Lord in eternity. He says that would be far better for him. Again, Here we come to a place where we must be careful, I believe, because when we think of Paul's circumstances, we could easily see how he might have been depressed. He could have been feeling sorry for himself. He could have been um, longing to die, to be with the Lord, just based on the circumstances in his life. And when we think of all the injustices that have already taken place in Paul's life, leading up to that point where he is now, he's in prison and he's chained to a Roman guard 24 hours a day when he's writing these letters. He says, it's, and not only that, but everything that he had endured from this time, from his time of conversion on the road to the Damascus till now too. There is a long list of hardships that Paul went through. And we'll just, he lists them himself in Second Corinthians chapter 11, verse 24. And I'll just read through that. Actually, in verse 20, 2 Corinthians 11, verse 23, he says, he experienced countless beatings, often near death. Fifty times, five times, sorry, lashes, forty lashes less one, three times beaten with rods. Once he was stoned, he was in danger wherever he went, in toil and hardship through many sleepless nights, in hunger and thirst, and often without food, and cold and exposure. And then in second Corinthians 12 verse eight, he says, he was given a thorn in the flesh that he had three times pleaded with the Lord to remove from him, but it was never removed. In Second Corinthians 12, verse 10, he says, For the sake of Christ, then I am content with weakness, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Paul's life was full of difficult times by anyone's standards. We could see how he possibly would have longed to die just to simply be relieved of all his hurts and pains that he experienced. Paul longed to be with Christ. Yes, he did, but not because his life was terrible, not because he felt sorry for himself. And if we believe that to be true, then I believe we missed the point that Paul is saying in verse 21, for him to live is Christ. To die is gain. Paul's life was Christ. His life was full. He had life in Christ, and he considered his life as a fruitful life for Christ. 1 Thessalonians five sixteen, Paul says, Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Paul believed this. Paul did this. He gave thanks in all circumstances. He rejoiced always, no matter the situation he was in. He did not fake it. He did not say to pretend to be thankful in all circumstances. He is saying, let the love of Christ overflow in your hearts and be a song of praise in all circumstances. We can stand to learn so much from Paul here. Are our lives simply defined as Christ? Is Christ the center of our world? What would others say about our lives? What would... What would we say about our own lives if we gave ourselves an honest evaluation? Paul was so Christ-centered that there was nothing that kept him from experiencing the joy of the Lord. What about us? What, what do we worry about? What keeps us up at night? What keeps us from being able to say, for me to live is Christ, to die is gain? Do we fully understand the promise of God to the point that we have no other worries in the world? To live is Christ, to die is gain. Is it gain for you? Is it gain for me? Are we longing for the day when we see Jesus face to face? He continues in verse 22. If I am to live in the flesh... the two options ahead of him. He understands, he knows that there are only two ways that this can go. Either he will be sentenced to death or he will be set free from prison. He understands that if he is set free, he will continue in fruitful labor for Christ. And he knows that if he dies, then he will be with Christ. But we see here that God has not, obviously not made that perfectly clear to Paul at this point. That's why he says he's not sure which one he'll choose because God has not made that clear to him. He struggles, though, with these two things. He knows it's far better for him to depart and to be with Christ. But on the other hand, to serve the bride of Christ, to help her progress, to help her grow in the joy of the Lord, is such a source of joy for him, and it is good for the church. And so it becomes difficult for him to choose. It would be more necessary for the church if he remained. Paul had much praise um, for the church at Philippi. Um, But he also saw that there were areas where growth was needed. And he addresses their needs. Uh, He addresses the need for more humility in Christ in chapter 2. He warns them to be on guard against false teachers in chapter 3. He he is encouraging them to press on towards the goal and to not look back. Also in chapter 3, he encourages a few ladies who are disagreeing in the Lord in chapter 4. He says he encourages them to agree, and he encourages the church to come alongside and to help them. And also in chapter 4, he tells the Christians to be anxious for nothing. So it it appears that there, there are those who are worried about things that were beyond their control. And again, in Paul's confidence, there is no worry. There's no room for worry or anxiety. So Paul believes his work is not yet done in this church. It was not a burden to Paul to have to wait longer to depart and to be with Christ. But it was such an honor for him to serve the church, for him to live as Christ, to die as gain. Paul will rejoice because he understands God will will be done. He has faith that in every circumstance the Lord will prevail. Whether he lives or dies, God will be honored. Paul will not at all be ashamed because he knows that God's purpose will triumph in the end. What God has set forth will be. What is it that Paul has that he can that he can with so much confidence face every trial and every hardship that comes his way? Well he has salvation. Plain and simply, he has salvation. He believed God's promise of salvation. And he believed that he was saved and he is being saved and that he would be saved for all of eternity. And if we do not believe we are saved, then we can have no confidence in the Lord. Turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 15 for a second. And Paul is is laying out the gospel here to the church um, as, a, as a way of reminder to them. He's speaking to the believers, and that is an important—we um, need to keep that in mind. He's speaking to the believers here, and he's reminding them of the gospel. He says, For I delivered to you first, as of first importance, uh, ch- chapter 15, verse 3, sorry. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received— That Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures. That he was buried. That he was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures. And that he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve. Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time. Most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to the apostles. And last of all, as one untimely born, he appeared also to me. So he he reminds them that Christ died for our sins, Christ was buried for our sins, and Christ was raised from the dead for our sins. If Christ never would have been raised, then our salvation never would have been complete. But he was, and he is alive, and therefore we can rest assured that we can and will be raised with Christ. As sure as Christ is raised, we can be sure that we will be raised if we are in Christ. Christ. The penalty of sin had to be paid by a sinless life, and that life had to be buried, and it had to be raised up again, defeating death. Jesus was raised, and he showed himself to many to prove that he had been raised. Many eyewitnesses seen the risen Lord, and we can be sure that it is true. As sure as we are alive right now, we can believe that Christ rose from the grave. Some at the Corinthian church were not so sure, That's why he was addressing this. Some were saying there was no resurrection in verse 13 of chapter 15. And then in verse 17, he says, If Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. Then those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. But then in verse 19, he says, If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. He is writing to the believers here, as sure as the resurrection of Jesus Christ is, we can be sure of our own resurrection. As sure as 500 witnesses are of the resurrected Christ, the believers can be sure that they too will be resurrected with Christ. In the court of law, you only need one eyewitness to prove something to be true. Jesus Christ had hundreds. Paul says, if only only we have hope, as in a wishful thinking kind of hope, if that's the only hope we have, then we as believers are to be most pitied. He is saying that if Christ had not been raised from the dead, then we should be pitied because we have been deceived to believe the greatest deception of all time. Then we should be pitied. Paul says, as sure as 500 witnesses are of the resurrected Christ, so sure can we be, without a doubt. And that is why... He can be so sure in his letter to the Philippians that to live as Christ and to die is gain, that he would not be at all ashamed because he believed and he trusted God's word, not his own feelings or emotions, but only what God himself had said. Our confidence must be in Christ alone. If you believe in Jesus Christ as your Savior, then rejoice, for he has brought you to life. Ephesians 2, 1 you were dead in trespasses and sins in which you once walked. Ephesians 2.8, For by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not of your own doing. It is a gift of God. And one of my favorite passages in the Bible to show a picture of salvation is found in John chapter 11. And it is the story of Lazarus. He died. His sisters were grieving his death. They buried him. And they believed that if Jesus could have, could have saved him, had he been there sooner and um but he had been dead for four days and it is important to note that dead means dead i know it's very simple but dead means dead just as ephesians 2 1 says dead in trespasses and sins it's it's the same word he was dead jesus said lazarus come forth and he came forth lazarus was dead he was not looking for life and jesus raised him from the dead it was christ who saved him from death and before our salvation, our sins have us in a state of spiritual death. We, like Paul, on his way to Damascus, are not searching for God. We are going against God. We are dead in trespasses and sins. And like Lazarus was dead in the tomb. And just like Paul, we need to have our eyes open to the truth. John six forty four, Jesus says, No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. And if you believe in Christ, it is the work of Christ in your life. If you believe, then God has done a work in your life and he has, as he did in Paul's life and as he did in the dead body of Lazarus. Turn to John chapter 10. Just listen. Listen to these passages as I read them. I'll start in... Um, Verse 1. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name, and he leads them out. When he has brought them out, all when he has brought out all his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, and they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him, and they, for they do not know the voice of strangers. Then let's go down to verse 7. So Jesus again said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and he will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and to kill and to destroy. I came that they may have life and they may have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. And so if you have understood your need for a savior because because of your sins, that is evidence that the work of Christ is in your life then you can also believe the promises of God to never leave you or forsake you as Paul did. In John chapter 10 verse 27, Jesus continues, My sheep hear my voice. I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they will never perish. And no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all and no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. I and the Father are one. Brothers and sisters, these are the promises that Paul believed, and so many more. He understood that God had chosen to save him, and it caused him to rejoice in all circumstances. His life was Christ. His death was gain. That is our lives as well as believers. And if we, don't, if we do not believe in Jesus Christ as Savior, then maybe today God is calling you Maybe today is the the day of salvation for you. If God is opening your eyes to the truth of your desperate need of a Savior, then repent of your sins and enter into an eternal life with Christ. Then these promises are for you as well. Then no one can snatch you out of the Father's hands, out of the hands of Jesus Christ. Our confidence then is is in Christ, as was Paul's. Can you today say with all confidence to live is Christ? To live is Christ. Period. Can we say that? And can we say that to die is gain? Can we say that? That if we were to die today, that's awesome because then that would be gain. We would be with Christ. We can only trust Him to keep us. We can only trust him to keep us. We cannot leave it up to ourselves. Famous quote by John Newton. I'm sure many of you have heard it. If it were possible for me to alter any part of his plan, I could only spoil it. If it's up to us, we will only spoil it. We cannot trust anything in ourselves but wholly lean on Christ. Your life is a part of God's plan. You are where God wants you to be. And if he is drawing you to himself, then yield to that calling today. Yield to Christ and, to, and repent and believe and then trust in the promises of God over and above every feeling, every emotion that you may experience. It is God's word that alone is trustworthy. And when we understand that it is the work of Christ in us that has saved us and not our own doing, then and only then can we truly praise the lord for our salvation for our deliverance then we can as paul did say with all confidence that this will turn out for our deliverance we are going into so many uncertain times ahead of us we we can say with paul for me to live as christ to die as gain it doesn't matter what's coming we can truly trust god with our future we must trust god with our future we must not let hard times discourage us, but wholly lean on the name of Jesus Christ. We must stand on the rock of Jesus Christ alone. Let's pray. <clears throat> Father, I come to you this afternoon as Lord, as, as Lord of heaven and earth. We seek your face, and we ask you that by your Holy Spirit, Father, that you would help us to understand that we can trust you, that we can trust every promise that you have given to us by your word. And that way we can lean on that and we can, we can rest in that, Lord. We need not be anxious. We need not worry. We need not be afraid of anything this world can bring or could do to us because we have you, Christ. Help us to trust you. Help us to lean on you. Help us to know that to live is Christ and to die is gain. May that be the one thing that each one of us takes from here today. Help us to know that in the deepest parts of our heart and forgive us, Lord, for times of unbelief and help us to believe and to trust your word. Thank you. In Christ's name I pray. Amen.